Hey, this is Pastor Chad. And this is Pastor Joel. Welcome to another episode of From the Pastor's Heart. Welcome to From the Pastor's Heart with Pastor Chad and Pastor Joel. From the Pastor's Heart is a weekly podcast from the pastoral staff of First Baptist Church of Opelousas, where we take a deep dive into the issues facing Christianity and culture from a Christian worldview. To find out more, visit us online at www.fbcopelousas.org or look for our family of podcasts on most major podcast providers. And now, here are your hosts, Pastor Joel and Pastor Chad with this week's Deep Dive. Unity of possible truth at all cost, in the words of Martin Luther. Thank you for being with us again for another episode of From the Pastor's Heart. I am Pastor Joel. With me always is Pastor Chad. Good to be here. And today we actually have a special guest with us, Pastor Brian Gunner, who is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Livingston, Louisiana, also the founder of the pro-life organization Protect Life. Uh, Thanks for being with us today, Brian. It's an honor to be with you guys. So what we're going to do today is a little bit different. Uh, As many of you may not be aware, uh, in October of 2021, First Baptist Church of Opelousas voted to disfellowship from the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, We felt like, truthfully, that it was more of the Southern Baptist Convention leaving us. Uh, We still believe the same things. We still teach the same things. But but we have come to realize there is some confusion in the community as to the, the reasons. Why did we make this choice at FBCO? So what we wanted to do is take an opportunity to walk through some of the things that led us to this difficult decision, uh, and not just that, but talk about what has transpired within the SBC since that time. So how we're going to do this formatted today is we're going to talk about a general overview of what we see happening, uh, kind of the motive behind the issues within the SBC, and then we'll break them down more specifically. So, So gentlemen, starting us out. And please tell me if you disagree. What I see happening or what I believe is happening right now in the Southern Baptist Convention is a modern American version of the downgrade controversy that was absolutely destructive to the English Baptists in the 1800s during the time of of Charles Spurgeon. And for those of you who don't know, it was an argument over the sufficiency of Scripture. And even though we're going to talk about a lot of different issues taking place within the SBC today, it still comes down to these two fundamental questions that the English Baptists had to answer in the 1800s. First, is Scripture sufficient to diagnose and treat the spiritual, moral, and cultural challenges facing the church? And second, is it authoritative over the faith and practice of the Christian life and the corporate body of the church? I'm reminded of a a quote from Charles Spurgeon during that time, and he says that a chasm is opening between the men who believe their Bibles and those who are prepared for an advance upon the Scripture. The house is being robbed. Its very walls are being digged down, but the good people who are in bed are too fond of the warmth to go downstairs to meet the burglars. So, guys, that's I think, encapsulates where my heart is at, but I want to hear what you all think. Well, I I totally agree, Joel. And, you know, the real issue here is when God gave us his word, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, was God finished speaking special divine revelation? Is God still communicating to us through a modern day prophet like many of the cults claim? Does God speak through a still small voice in the heart of the Christian? Now, I'm not saying does the Holy Spirit lead and guide us. Of course he does. But I'm asking, does God speak in a thus saith the Lord sense anywhere else but in the Bible? And my answer to that is emphatically, no, he does not. God has spoken once for all. Jude says that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. And the real issue here is if the Bible says something, is that the end of the matter, is the Word of God sufficient to answer these questions, or do we need to modernize and follow what's going on in our culture today and respond to cultural pressures, or do we simply unapologetically stand upon the Word of God, what it says? I believe 
that if we don't understand the Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura, then the foundation of the church, which is the Word of God, the Bible, the foundation of the church and its gospel will be eroded when we undermine Scripture, and then there is no end in sight to where we can end up doctrinally and theologically if we do not maintain that firm foundation of Scripture alone as the final rule and authority for the Christian church. Now, some would say, Brian and, and Chad, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Some would say that the issues we're going to talk about uh, in this episode, whether it's the social justice uh, agenda, whether it's lack of accountability, even when we're talking about the view of sexual abuse and abortion that we're nitpicking. And one of the mantras of the SBC leadership over the last few years has been keep the main thing the main thing. So, Chad, when they say keep the main thing the main thing, what do they mean by that? That's a good question, and and I think in order to answer that, you have to look at those who are making the statement. Uh, and I can think personally of a local pastor who's recently made the statement, and he followed that statement by um, saying the main thing is getting people down the aisle, that they would pray a prayer. He also mentioned that we would fill our baptistry. Um, you hear this at uh, Rick from Rick Warren back at the SBC 2022 uh, meetings, and he he constantly threw that out there. We're going to keep bickering about secondary issues, or we're going to keep the main thing the main thing. And followed by that, so this is where I think what they mean is he he bragged about how many churches he planted, how many pastors he's raised up, raised up, how many people he's had saved, and so I think that that what they mean when they're saying that is simply. Um, not what we're saying here is soli deo gloria. You, you said sola scriptura. This is this is our foundations. These are our doctrines. These are what we hold to. And so, but before my words get twisted, you know, uh, I do want to say I love people, uh, but I think that this this push to see people get into the church is a secondary issue. Uh, and I think the primary thing is that we would the main thing ought to be the glory of God. And if the scriptures are sufficient for our faith and doctrine. We have, a, I think, another question we need to ask. Are the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ contained in the Bible, are the scriptures sufficient to save men's souls? Or, or do we need modern tactics? Do we need a, a, a manipulative altar call invitation? Or do we simply proclaim the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit of God to use His words to open the eyes of sinners, to to make those who are dead in sin alive in Christ. I want to take us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and, and, and I want us to consider what the Apostle Paul says here about how he preached the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Mm-hmm. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I believe that the word of God is sufficient not only for our faith and practice, but that it is sufficient to save men's souls. Absolutely. Paul said that his methodology in evangelism is, quote, the open statement of the truth. And I believe that the preacher's job is not to uh, to be colorful, not to be creative. There's nothing worse than a creative preacher. I'll just tell you that right now. No, the preacher has a 2,000-year-old message. I subscribe to the doctrine that if it's new, it's not true. God delivered his word once for all. The doctrines will not change, and our methodology methodology should not be ever changing. I believe the preacher's job is to deliver the word of God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Bible alone. And when he does that, I trust that the Spirit of God is able to save men's souls. And I believe what we really have going on in the Southern Baptist Convention today is that many pastors and theologians do not believe that the whole Holy Spirit working through his word alone is sufficient to save souls. They think they need to bring in modern methodologies. They need to appeal to the culture. They need to play nice with the world, and hopefully they'll like us if we'll compromise on some issues. No, 
I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. My job as a preacher is to proclaim the gospel by the open statement of the truth. I don't want to water it down at all. The best way to save souls is to preach the undiluted truth and watch God change hearts and minds. And I think there lies the problem, Brian, with what's taking place. You said they think we can get men to like us. And, and you know, I can tell you as a firsthand witness, and I know you were there as well in 2021 at the annual meetings in Nashville, which was kind of a turning point for the leadership of our church and our relationship with the Southern Baptist Convention. That was when the initial uh, investigation into sexual abuse allegations was fixed into a launch, where the war over the social justice gospel uh, was really going full steam. And the one thing I heard from the stage over and over and over again was the world is watching. Not Mm -hmm. God is watching. Not we're accountable to our Creator. It's the world is watching. And I think that viewpoint does irreparable harm. Because we have to understand, Jesus Christ said they hated me and they're going to hate you too. We will never get fallen man to agree with biblical truth. So I think it is a faulty methodology to start with. And I think we do uh, hypocritical, irreparable harm to the gospel because we proclaim its authority. And then in order to try and win the approval of man, we turn around and deny the power of the very authority that we just proclaimed. That's right. And, and you know, that's kind of what I was saying earlier is when you when you make the main thing the world is watching rather than the main thing being the glory of God, you distort the gospel every single time. Amen. And I remember when I was ordained to gospel ministry, the pastor that I had served under for three years as an associate pastor, his name was Jason Gardner, and when he preached my ordination service, he preached from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, and I remember it like it was yesterday. There I was sitting in the first church where I was called to be the senior pastor, a little church, uh, First Baptist Church in Evant, Texas, and Brother Jason stood in that pulpit, and I remembered the the great responsibility that I felt when he read these words. The Apostle Paul gives this charge to the young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy, and this is what he tells him. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. And what I realized was, is Paul says, Timothy, you're going to stand before Jesus one day and give an account. I charge you in the presence of God the Father and of Christ Jesus the Son. And Jesus is the one who is to judge the living and the dead. And I charge you by his appearing, he's coming back again, and by his kingdom. And then the command, preach the word. Karuksan tan lagan. This statement is... Timothy, your job is to proclaim the scriptures. And, and I got to tell you, I I remember in that ordination service to this day, and, and this was many years ago, I remember in that ordination service, I sat there and I thought, no matter what happens in my ministry as a minister of the gospel, I have to preach the word. Mm-hmm. In season or out of season, no matter how upset people get about it, I have to stand upon the truth. And I think at the end of the day, Joel, and, and I think you said it well, We need to be more afraid that God is watching than that man is watching, because the truth is this. I'm not worried about how the world judges me. I'm worried about how Jesus judges me. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that as a platitude. That's not some pithy statement. I really consider the fact, on a a regular basis, I think about the fact that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day soon, and I'm going to give an account of everything I've done and everything that I've said as a pastor— and I don't want him to tell me that I've been unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel a, a real sincere fear of God. I'm going to stand before Jesus, and I don't want him to tell me that I haven't fulfilled my commission and my call to ministry. And that honestly is what motivates me. I want to please Jesus, and I know I'm going to stand before him one day soon. Amen. So so what I would like to do moving forward now, let, let's go ahead and get into some of the specific issues currently affecting the SBC, uh, some of them that, that actually were the catalyst, if you will, for First Baptist Church of Opelousas uh, disfellowshipping. So I think the first one, the elephant in the room, is the sexual abuse investigation, the allegations that had taken place 
uh, of what has taken place within the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I think to bracket this conversation to begin, it's important to understand a little bit about Southern Baptist Convention polity. Uh, because you're aware of the issue, the uh, horrific sexual abuse that, that has taken place in Roman Catholicism. And so you look at the Southern Baptist Convention in kind of the same light. Well, it, it kind of is and it isn't. The polity is different in the Southern Baptist Convention to where we are an, are an autonomous uh, convention of churches working together in missions. So whereas in Roman Catholicism, the hierarchy, the leadership of the Catholic Church was responsible in actually hiding, propagating the abuse by protecting the abusers, there wasn't necessarily that same level of animus or, or liability within the Southern Baptist Convention. With that being said, uh, we are well aware, and it was incredibly disheartening and disgusting, that there were members on the executive committee, and I think it's important that we understand that, that it was not all the members but it has been proven that there were specific members uh, on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention who systematically for almost two decades uh, worked to cover up these instances. And, and it's heartbreaking to me because, one, there's no greater honor as leadership of the church than to, to be able to shepherd the flock that God's given us. And especially when we're talking about women, we're talking about children, uh, I, I cannot stress enough how evil it is. It's heartbreaking for me on, on two reasons. One, it would have been a shining opportunity to show how Christianity responds to horrific acts, even among our own, uh, and, and to, to kind of distance ourselves in the way we responded from Roman Catholicism. And unfortunately, not everyone did that. But my fear is this, even in the response the Southern Baptist Convention went an unbiblical route. Mm. There are two spheres of authority when you're talking about man. Uh, the, the governmental legal sphere that God has given the government, uh, the right and the responsibility to protect the innocent, to punish uh, the guilty, and then he's given the church the spiritual end. Amen. And, and my fear is this. We did it wrong both ways. One, as it was happening, we didn't turn to the governmental authorities uh, to to protect the innocent, to punish the wicked among us. But then in response, when they're finally called out, it's finally brought to light, then they turn to secular sources to handle the mm -hmm. spiritual end. So it's like the SBC got it completely backwards. And for those of you who don't know, uh, they hired a private firm, uh, uh, just a secular investigation firm to come in a firm that has been since been proven to be pro-homosexuality, mm -hmm. pro-abortion, and they actually come in and investigate it and judge Was the Was it the Guidepost? The Guidepost mm -hmm. is the company. So I feel like the SBC got it wrong in both camps, where they should have went to the secular authorities to protect the weak, protect the innocent, punish the wicked. They didn't. They hid it instead. Then where they should have, as, as leadership, spiritual leadership of the church, stepped up and said, okay, we're going to root this out, that they hand over to secular sources to do what God had, had uh, prescribed for church leadership to do with church discipline. Two instances, I think, they, they totally got it wrong, but I want to hear what you guys think. Well, Joel, I think you've hit the nail on the head because of our bad theology and not understanding the three spheres of government, that there is, number one, the family sphere of the right. father being mm -hmm. the head and, and the shepherd of the home, and then the church sphere led by pastors leading the local church, and then the civil sphere where you have magistrates, where you have civil government to punish the evildoer and to bear the sword when necessary because we have such a weak understanding of the law of God and we don't understand the three spheres of government taught in the Bible, then we have this wicked methodology where when sin, even egregious sexual sin, even sometimes abusing children mm -hmm. sexually, when that's not always turned over to the civil authority, we, we have a duty as Christian men and women anytime we are aware of someone sexually abusing a person, especially a child, that we must turn that over to the civil authority and allow them to investigate it. I'll never forget one time as a pastor, there was an 11-year-old young girl who came to me and told me that someone who was in her own family, who was, I believe, a little over 20 years old, was raping her. Wow. 
I stopped the conversation. I was sitting with her and her guardians. I stopped the conversation and I said, hold on, I need to call the sheriff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Absolutely. literally, I literally called my sheriff, made him aware, and then we finished the conversation because she was going to return back to that situation. Mm-hmm. And I felt that I had to do something about it now. You know, that kind of imminency is important because we can't allow that abuse to continue. And that's where the civil government comes in. That's exactly that's right. They, they have to intervene because we cannot allow these people to continue to be abused. But then the church should come in. And anytime someone is a member of a church or involved with a church led by the pastors, they should do discipline upon those people. And so the Southern Baptist Convention should expose and it should root out that kind of corruption in the church sphere. Leave it up to the civil government to punish it mm-hmm. uh, through the courts and 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 imprison those who've committed these crimes. And I think rapist, a biblical standard, by the way, for rapist is that they should receive the death penalty. Absolutely. That's what the Bible says. Agreed. I believe rapists should, in fact, be put to death. I believe that is clearly what Scripture requires. Uh, and I don't apologize for that either because rape is such a grievous thing. But nonetheless, we let the civil sphere punish uh, those kinds of crimes, but the church must stand against them and expose them so that everyone else will stand in fear. And this is exactly why I said earlier that when you distort the main thing and you make it about people and getting people in your doors, you're concerned more about your reputation to the community and you're willing to cover up things so you don't look bad. Uh, but, But in reality, the main thing is the glory of God. I can't say that enough. Well, and I think what you're seeing in this conversation is the logical result of the world is watching, being more concerned, just as you said, Chad, with what the reputation of the Southern Baptist Mm -hmm. Convention is than doing right, first by God, second by the victim. Uh, So you, you had a wonderful opportunity for the Southern Baptist Convention to be a city on a hill and show how you deal with grievous sexual sin and crime and instead took a horrific black eye because there was a complete misunderstanding uh, of what it means uh, as far as who we're responsible to. So moving forward, uh, the next hot button uh, issue that has been kind of roiling within the Southern Baptist Convention for the last few years is the idea of social justice. Uh, more particularly, critical race theory and intersectionality. Now, I'm going to assume that the vast majority of the people listening to us right now have a, a certain understanding of what CRTI is, so we're not necessarily going to go back and redefine what CRT is. You can Google it, uh, but but we want to talk more specifically about what has taken place within the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, guys, I'll launch this conversation uh, from the 2019 annual meetings. Uh, For those of you who don't know uh, what took place in 2019, a little bit more about Baptist polity. Once a year, Southern Baptist churches all across the convention send messengers for one annual meeting a couple of days a year. They vote on resolutions. They elect leadership within the church. Uh, Once a year, this takes place. So, a few weeks before this this uh, meeting happens, or really just a, a couple of months, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention will appoint a resolution committee. Any member of a Southern Baptist church anywhere in the world that's part of the Southern Baptist Convention has a right uh, to send in a resolution. It is a non-binding resolution. In some ways, it's it's just ceremonial, but it does give you a good sense of where we are spiritually, where we are culturally. They have to be sent in ahead of time. The resolution committee will then look at the resolution. They will either accept it as is to present for a vote before the messengers. They will reject it. Or they do have a right to make changes. Now, typically what happens when we say they're going to make changes, they typically just for uh, instance, if something needs clarification, if maybe the wording is jumbled, they will typically rewrite it just so it's easier to convey to the messengers. Uh, But in 2019, something very different happened. 
a brother from California, actually, who was very concerned with with social justice and some of the things he was seeing creeping into the Southern Convention, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, sent in a resolution to the Resolution Committee. It was actually written as a warning of the dangers of critical race theory and intersectionality. So what the Resolution Committee did was they changed it. But they changed it, the wording, so it did a 180. Instead of warning against the dangers of CRTI, it actually started uh, kind of become a proponent of the virtues of using it as a tool uh, to diagnose the spiritual ill. So uh, they bring it to the floor. Uh, you, for those of you who don't know, when resolutions are, are submitted before the messengers during the meetings, there is an allotted amount of time you have to debate on the open floor. So this was Resolution 9. By the time they got to 9, 9 of 15 resolutions, there was less than a minute left of open debate. So the chair of the Resolutions Committee come forward. He asked to just lump them all together uh, rather than doing it individually. Well, thankfully, at that point, the messenger stopped it. But they stood up and and argued, then the resolution committee did, for the virtue of Resolution 9 saying that CRTI, uh, critical race theory and intersectionality, is a helpful tool in diagnosing the spiritual needs of members of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, guys, that's that's kind of a brief explanation of what happened up to 2019. I kind of want to open the floor now and and hear your thoughts on some of what's taking place. Then we'll kind of push into the 2021 meeting and where we are today. Yeah, well, as you look at what happened in Birmingham, Alabama in 2019, they basically snuck CRT into the back door, and they really deceived the messengers of the convention into adopting a resolution that called critical race theory and intersectionality useful analytical tools to study the Bible with. And that, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, CRTI, let's let's not forget, this this comes out of Marxist communism. This is a this is an anti-God, uh, atheistic worldview that sees class struggle as the lens through which we should read the culture, and in this case, read the Bible. Uh, once again, by saying that CRTI is a useful analytical tool, that undermines, again, the sufficiency of Scripture. <laughs> and so, once again, it always comes back to the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible, and this, again, undermines that. Uh, but as we think about that, you know, I remember when I was speaking to leaders um, of churches, denominational leaders that I know well at this time, working uh, in my sphere of influence to try to make a public statement along with other leaders about this issue. And I can't tell you how many Southern Baptist leaders that I know well said to me, look, just don't say anything yet. Let's just wait. We can't speak out on this. And I remember it took years for some pastors I mean, it was like 2021 before some pastors would come out publicly. They took about two to three years to decide, okay, I'm going to make a public statement that critical race theory and intersectionality Can is I bad. Can I ask why they felt that way? Well, we don't want to rock the boat. Right, okay. And um, there were very influential Southern Baptist leaders who were calling pastors and anyone who wanted to lead either their state convention or the SBC to make a statement. And these very influential, I mean, we're talking about seminary presidents. We're talking about mm-hmm. uh, the very top leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention who were calling pastors. And I received some of these calls uh, because I was was wanting us to speak vocally about this, but not just myself. I wanted uh, a, a whole bunch of, of Southern Baptist pastors and denominational leaders to speak against CRTI. And in 2019 and 2020, you just didn't do that. Mm. I mean, it was it was the 11th commandment, thou shall not criticize another Southern Baptist. Keep the and, main thing the main thing. Yeah, and we're back yeah. to the— And so we were told, you cannot do this. Um, eventually, uh, as the years went by and more people began to understand what critical race theory is, because early on, people had not heard that term before— Uh, As the years went by, more and more people said, okay, we're against this. But that was after the Black Lives Matter movement had burned Mm -hmm. down half of the cities in America that we finally decided, you know, that maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, But before it was acceptable to criticize critical race theory, many of the leaders and pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention intentionally were silent. They knew the Word of God spoke clearly on the matter, 
but they didn't have the backbone to stand up and say anything publicly about it. But guys, isn't this always the way it happens? I mean, we were talking earlier, as you look back through church history, the major heresies, the major false teachings that have damaged the church, it's not that everybody was on board. It's always been the men without chess, as C.S. Lewis puts it, unwilling to stand up for the truth, just go along to get along, uh, trying to kick the can down the road. That always seems to be what does the most damage, often more than the, the false teaching or the heresy itself. I totally agree. Um, So kind of moving it forward, 2020, because of COVID, there wasn't an annual meeting, but the issue was taken back up at the 2021 annual meeting in June of 2021 in Nashville, uh, the one that we actually sent messengers from our church. So a resolution was submitted to denounce uh, critical race theory. So those of you, uh, many may not know a gentleman by the name of James Merritt. He's a former Southern Baptist Convention president. He was heading up the resolutions committee this year, or that year in particular. I'll never forget how disgusted I was when it come up. They actually had removed CRTI, any reference to it, from the resolution. They had made the change. Uh, It did say... Uh, in, on their behalf, that the Bible was sufficient to diagnose issues, but it it purposefully refused to recant what they had done in 2019. And when questioned by messengers about this, I will never forget the belligerence of the response from the stage, where James Merritt accused the messengers of not caring about the gospel. And if you cared as much about the gospel as you did this, we'd be a whole lot better off, was his exact wording, as if somehow the two are mutually exclusive and one doesn't critically impact the other and does. So so I felt like even in this semi-recantation, they did just enough to get everybody off their back mm-hmm. without fully saying that what they had done was wrong. Uh, Brian, you were actually there. Is that how you saw it, or did— it was unbelievable. I, I was there at my first SBC in Nashville, and, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, James Merritt was up there berating pastors and messengers who were concerned about heresy being embraced in the previous uh, convention's Resolution 9, endorsing critical race theory and intersectionality. I mean, once again, CRTI comes out of atheistic mm-hmm. communism. It is a denial of the gospel. This is not some secondary doctrinal matter. It denies the gospel. It denies our unity in Christ. It splits us up into black versus white, rich versus poor, ethnicity versus that ethnicity. It denies that we all descended from Adam and that from one nation of man, God made every nation of men to live upon the face of the earth, which is what Acts 17.26 says. And it denies core Christian truth. It is heresy of the first order. And James Merritt said, I wish you were as concerned about the gospel as you were critical race theory. I mean, it must be what Athanasius felt like when people said, well, Athanasius, we we wish you were as concerned about the gospel as you are the deity of Christ. And these are all gospel issues. That's the point. I mean, when I look at CRTI, I look at a false gospel that offers no absolution because you are separated by ethnicity. You're separated by belief. There is no reconciliation that CRTI offers. And it's counterintuitive to what Paul says. There is neither Jew nor Greek in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I agree. And it goes back to the very first question. Is Scripture all sufficient in diagnosing the spiritual, the moral, the cultural needs of man? It's either all sufficient or it's none. So, all right, moving on. One of the hot button issues right now, actually, in the state of Louisiana specifically, and and we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. Uh, We're excited, actually, next week we're going to publish another special episode that is focused solely upon the issue of abortion. Uh, Many people would would believe that the Southern Baptist Convention is 100% against abortion, that we believe that it is the murder of a child. Some of you may be shocked to know that that is absolutely not the case, that on one hand we will say that, but then when you have to walk it to its moral conclusion, we will not pull the trigger. So I'm going to uh, give my friend here uh, the floor 
Brian Gunner is one of the leading proponents of the pro-life movement in the state of Louisiana, uh, and really nationally. Uh, Brian has been at the forefront for many years of the abortion abolitionist movement. So I'm going to give the floor to Brian, let him kind of explain what's been happening uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention, within the LBC. So Brian, if you would, kind of bring us up to speed on what's happening within the, the SBC, the LBC, the state of Louisiana right now when it comes to abortion. Absolutely. Well, the first thing that we need to realize is that after Roe was overturned earlier this year, the landscape has totally shifted. Now, I've been known for many years as a leader in the pro-life movement, especially in the state of Louisiana. Um, I've led pro-life marches across our state. I do want to say, Pastor Joel, that you know what I meant all these years calling myself pro-life is I meant that I believe life begins at the moment of conception and that every human life must be equally protected from the moment of conception. But the majority of the the leaders across America today who call themselves pro-life do not believe that. And it was revealed to us when the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, they are supposed to uh, support, uh, they are supposed to represent uh, Southern Baptists on the issue of abortion before uh, our state and federal government uh, they signed a letter that was authored by the National Right to Life Committee, and this letter was dated May 12th of 2022. And in that letter, signed by Brent Leatherwood of the ERLC, it says, we state unequivocally that we do not support any measure seeking to criminalize or punish women, and we stand firmly opposed to such penalties in legislation. What they're saying is we don't want to punish women for abortion. So let me translate that for you. They want abortion to be legal for women. Now, now they said it in a very clever and political mm -hmm. way. They said, we don't support any legislation that would punish a woman for abortion is what they're talking about. And this was in response to a bill that I introduced to our state legislature through State Representative Danny McCormick. It was House Bill 813, and it was a very simple bill. It would have abolished abortion in the state of Louisiana by saying life begins at the moment of conception. Therefore, all life from conception until natural death will be equally protected in Louisiana. If you kill a child in the womb, you'll face the same legal consequences as if you kill any other person, born or unborn. And they threw a fit the National Right to Life Committee, the ERLC, came out so strongly against us. Brent Leatherwood actually lied, and it was a lie. I mean, it just flat was. He said that the letter dated May 12th was not in response to HB 813 in Louisiana. Well, that's interesting because I was there at the Capitol uh, on May 12th. Chad was there with me. And the lawmakers had the letter in their hand mm -hmm. that had been released earlier that day. So let me let me interject right here for a second because I want to make sure we're clear on this before you you pick back up what you were saying, and rightly so, is that the ERLC that there was a House bill before the legislature of the state of Louisiana to give equal protection to the unborn, those who would be murdered in the womb. And that the ERLC, the Legal and Ethics Administration of the Southern Baptist Convention, actually stood against that bill, correct? That's correct. And they signed a statement saying that they do not want to fully ban abortion. The Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention wants abortion to be legal for women. That's that was reiterated at the SBC Convention 2022, correct? Because I went to the microphone and confronted mm -hmm. Brent correct. Leatherwood. Yes, that's right. And, and I said, here I was trying to introduce this bill in my state. So I said, is it really your position that the woman who kills her own child by abortion has not broken God's law and she should not face any consequence under the law, under civil law for doing so? And he said, you're not going to get me to say that we should lock up women. Well, finish the statement, Brent Leatherwood. You're not going to get me to say that we should lock up women who murder their own children? So let's just ask this question. Should it be legal for a mother to kill her toddler? I mean, Absolutely if it should be not. legal for her to kill her preborn child, then why shouldn't it be legal for her to kill her born child? Are the preborn and the born child equally persons or not? And the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention took a stand that said abortion should be legal for women. Now, uh, to be fair, they don't want abortion clinics to be legal. 
but they do want abortion legal for women. Well, and that that's going to lead to the next question. And I know we're we're going to record a a, a full version of a podcast uh, that we'll release next week concerning abortion. But as it stands right now, Brian. In the state of Louisiana, we've been told we had trigger laws in place that outlawed abortion once Roe v. Wade was struck down. Where do we stand legally in the state of Louisiana when it comes to abortion? Abortion clinics are illegal, and they will be fined $10,000. The abortionist would be fined $10,000 if he or she commits an abortion. But abortion is perfectly legal for every woman in Louisiana right now, and it is accessible through the abortion pill by mail. It is legal and it is ongoing. And we have the highest abortion rate ever in Louisiana right now with the abortion pill by mail. We have more abortions post-row than we did pre-row mm-hmm. because of the abortion pill by mail. And the pro-life establishment and the ERLC are pretending like we've ended abortion when we have more abortion today mm-hmm. than we did before Roe was overturned. So one more question on the topic before we move on. I know two weeks ago, the Louisiana Baptist Convention had their annual meeting, and you actually presented an amendment to a resolution to denounce abortion overall. Uh, what was the response to that, Brian? The response to that was is they opposed uh, me calling for a resolution uh, from the Louisiana Baptist Convention asking the Louisiana legislature and governor to fully ban abortion. The Louisiana Baptist Convention voted down my amendment. The amendment, uh, the, the, the original resolution said we celebrate the fact that Roe was overturned. We're thankful for that, and I agree with that. But then I said, let's also say, and we want to now fully ban abortion in Louisiana. And the platform opposed me, and the messenger swayed by the platform voted down a resolution to fully ban abortion in Louisiana. Right now, the Southern Baptist Convention stands opposed to fully banning abortion. That's just an undeniable fact. Unbelievable. And I thank you, you know, and, and certainly I don't want to impugn motive, but I think you have to go back to this view of we don't want to be looked at as mean and harsh, mm-hmm. uh, saying that people should be held responsible for the murder of the unborn. And, and again, we'll get into that more fully uh, on our next episode. So uh, this brings us to our final topic in this podcast. Uh, there is, from what I see, an inherent lack of accountability within the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Anytime an issue is brought up of sin, of even grievous sin, there seems to be a circle the wagon mentality. So I've got three issues, uh, three instances that I want to talk about. So I'll, I'll kind of explain one and let you guys filter in your thoughts. The first, in 2019, uh, the president of the SBC elected was Ed Litton. Ed is a preacher, a pastor out of Mobile, Alabama, close to actually where I'm from. Well, soon after Ed Litton was elected as president of the SBC, his administration fell into scandal because evidence come out that Litton had been systematically for a long period of time plagiarizing sermons. Now, he had stolen sermons from the previous President J.D. Greer. Uh, ultimately, since then, it's come out he has stolen material from Tim Keller, a Presbyterian minister. Now, I want to understand you to understand something when I say plagiarizing. What Solomon said is true. There's nothing new under the sun. And ultimately, all pastors stand on stage and, and regurgitate thoughts that more than likely someone else has already stated. But what Ed Litton did here was a different level. Not only did he take outlines, did he take statements verbatim, he took personal stories Mm -hmm. that these pastors had told and told them first person as if it had happened to him. Now, I need you to understand, for those of you who don't know, something that even a first-year seminarian understands in the seminaries in the SBC, to be caught plagiarizing is expulsion. You are done. So the president of the Southern Baptist Convention was beyond doubt found to have systematically, uh, unapologetically, let me say, he has never once since owned this, apologized, he has made excuse after excuse, been caught doing this. Instead of being held accountable, instead of doing the right thing uh, and, and resigning, he stood firm that he had done nothing wrong. The other leadership of the Southern Baptist Conventions, including almost all of the seminary presidents, I know Southwestern Baptist Seminary even hosted him and give him an opportunity to lay out all these ridiculous excuses and throw him softball questions. And, and if I sound enraged by it, I am because it was utterly sickening. 
Uh, but but that's where we were. So Ed was never held to account for this. Guys, before we move on, I want to get your thoughts on that subject. Yeah, I, I think ultimately it undermines the role of what a pastor actually is. And one of the excuses that he threw out there is that he needs time to do ministerial things. Uh, and, you know, I don't know the full extent of what that would look like for him. Uh, but ultimately, whatever it was called him out of the study. And we know that, you know, that's where the Lord does the work on you so that when you stand before your people, you preach convictionally. And so I think ultimately it's undermining of the role of pastor. When you look at Acts 6 and why they even established the role of deacons, you look at First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus uh, and the ability to teach being one of the qualifications, I think it, I think it just downgrades. Yeah, you know, what Ed Litton did— uh, was he simply um, abandoned his responsibility as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel, and uh, it totally discredited his ministry in my mind. Any pastor who is plagiarizing other men's sermons, number one, he has no integrity. I mean, he he's a fake in the pulpit. He didn't go to the Word of God and study it and get that sermon. And not only that, he didn't even plagiarize good sermons. No. I mean, he he plagiarized a sermon from J.D. Greer downplaying the sin of homosexuality, saying that God only whispers about homosexuality. So not only did he plagiarize, but he plagiarized some of the worst sermons that were available. I mean, that's really sad. But all I can say is this. um, The Southern Baptist Convention leaders, many of most of them, there were some exceptions, but but the majority of Southern Baptist Convention leaders— ignored Ed Litton's plagiarism. They circled the wagons and they protected the SBC president, kind of like they did with sexual abuse. They didn't want it to be exposed. And what ended up happening, Mm -hmm. it discredited our entire convention of churches because pastors like us who've been through seminary, and we know that if we plagiarize one of our research papers that we would have been expelled from seminary, um, we, we look at Ed Litton, the president, And one of my questions was, okay, so I'm working on my doctorate degree right now at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and one of my questions was is, hey, if I plagiarize in one of my papers, uh, is that okay? Will I still get my degree at the end of this? You may not uh, of get a degree, not. but you can be the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Right. So, yeah. so I mean, it's just it's Well, and any pastor, any pastor who's ever written a sermon knows the hour upon hours upon hours that you struggle formulating your thoughts, seeking to, to rightly divide the Word of God. And I agree, it's, it's an insult uh, to that man who struggles week after week after week. Uh, to formulate for you to take an easy and a cheap way out. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So the next issue I want to bring to the forefront uh, is, is we're looking at issues that ultimately determine First Baptist Church of Opelousas, uh, this fellowshipping from the Southern Baptist Convention, revolves around a gentleman by the name of Will McCraney. Now, for those of you who don't know, Will McCraney was the executive director of the Maryland Baptist Convention. And why this is such a big deal, let me tell you from the forefront, it gets into the foundational uh, belief of the Southern Baptist Convention is the autonomy of the local church, that the authority comes from the bottom up, not the up, you know, not the top down. It's what separates us from a denomination. Whereas, say, the PCA, for instance, Presbyterian Church of America, the presbytery, the hierarchy directs the local church. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention is specifically set up in its bylaws and constitution to be just the opposite. The power is in the local church. So Will McCraney was the executive director of the Maryland Baptist Convention. Uh, By all accounts, everything I could find on this man doing an excellent job, as a matter of fact, he was just given a good review by the, the executive committee of the Maryland Baptist Convention. Will started questioning some of the spending of the North American Mission Board led by Kevin Ezell. He starts publicly questioning some of the expenditures, some of the way they're doing things. He broke the 11th commandment. Absolutely. Thou shalt not speak ill of another Southern Baptist. And and he suffered immensely for that. So what happened, this, this executive director who had just got a good performance review out of the blue is terminated from his position. Now, the problem for Kevin Ezell is apparently everyone on the executive committee of the Maryland Baptist Convention didn't agree. So some actually leaked the documentation from Kevin Ezell directing them to get rid of him or threatening to freeze funding from the North American Mission Board. So that's bad enough. That's ecclesiastical extortion. Absolutely. And 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 so but but here's the thing. 
uh, Kevin Ezell had a vendetta against him. It could have stopped there, but it didn't. So then Will McCraney kind of licks his wounds. He's going to let it go. He's going to go on about his business. He uh, starts speaking at different conferences. Well, then all of a sudden, he starts getting cancellations. One after the other, supposed to speak at this conference. They call, hey, we don't need you now. Again, documents are leaked to him that show Kevin Ezell is actively contacting all of these conferences, all of these speaking engagements, all of the, the, the means that this man has to support himself and his family and, and forcing them to cancel him. So at this point, it becomes a legal issue. So you understand, uh, they lost the first round, the North American Mission Board did, of the lawsuit over it, over defamation and slander. They appealed. They lost again. It moved all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, this lawsuit over their slander and their defamation of Will McCraney. Now, a couple of problems uh, for the North American Mission Board, and and I would advise anyone to uh, Google the name Will McCraney, NAMB, you'll find the documentation. Through the discovery process of these suits, the appeals, such financial impropriety was brought to light where these men in leadership in the SBC were scratching each other's back, having each other on different boards, paying high dollar. Just And, and I can't go into all of it. All I'm going to say is just research it. It's all publicly available now because of these lawsuits. But So it gets to the Supreme Court, and all of this is happening in 2019 as all the issue with the, the sexual abuse is coming to the forefront. And this is where the RLC comes back in again. Our friends over at the RLC. Even though they're not a part of the suit, they file what's called an amicus brief on behalf of the North American Mission Board. Another term for it is friend of the court. It means I'm I'm going to speak legally on their behalf. Now, what they say in this amicus brief is that the North American Mission Board had the authority to direct Maryland's uh, Baptist Convention to get rid of him because we are not a convention of autonomous churches. We are an umbrella hierarchical organization, which gives them the authority. Now, here's the problem with this, okay? And this is why I mentioned the sexual abuse cases uh, that was coming to fruition. Anyone who knows anything about politics and law knows there's two ways to make a change to law. One is in the voting booth. You never would have gotten the messengers to change the structure of the Southern Baptist Convention. The other is through the courts. Had the North American Mission Board won their case against uh, Will McCraney with this amicus brief filed on their behalf by the ERLC, then under the rule of law, the Southern Baptist Convention is now an umbrella hierarchical denomination. Now, here's the problem. We're at the forefront of rightly so numerous lawsuits that's going to be hit by church, hit churches within the SBC will be hit with over them protecting sexual abusers. Now, so had this have passed and we're all one organization, First Baptist Church of Topeka, Kansas has a pastor that they've protected. He's been a predator. He has sexually abused children. They get a $50 million punitive damages award against them. All of a sudden, First Baptist Church of Opelousas, Louisiana, is on the hook as part of the SBC to help pay the cost. So I felt like what the ERLC did, besides all the awful things that Kevin Ezell and the NAMB have done, and, and the truth is, uh, Will McCraney's case has has caused other conventions, like I think about the Minnesota Baptist Baptist Convention to step forward with the courage to say the very same things were happening to them, that Kevin Ezell was extorting them through the purse strings of the NAMB to do his bidding. But the ERLC purposefully, in my mind, and this is an opinion, underhandedly tried to get this pushed through the courts to totally change the governmental structure, the ecclesiastical structure of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'll, I'll stop right there and let you guys chime in. I think some of the SBC elites don't like being accountable to the churches and to the messengers at the annual meeting, and I think that is likely the motivation for trying to undermine our congregational and biblical church polity. Um, but let's uh, let's go back to this question of what Will McCraney has done. Was it right for Will McCraney to publicly expose Kevin Ezell and all of this corruption? I believe it is. In fact, I believe this is exactly what Scripture commands us to do. 
Now, we know that James 3.1 says that not, not all of us should be teachers because those who teach and preach God's word will come under a stricter judgment. And the Apostle Paul, when he was instructing Timothy on elders who continued in sin in the local church, this is what the Apostle Paul told Timothy to do. 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, Paul says to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder. And just for clarity here, an elder in the New Testament is another term for the office of pastor, and it's also called the office of overseer. And so this is speaking about a pastor, someone who is called to be a pastor, and certainly Kevin Ezell, through his denominational leadership and office, would fall under this uh, auspice, this requirement in the New Testament. Paul says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you shouldn't believe just anything that someone says about a pastor. There needs to be good evidence that it's actually true and factual. Don't believe uh, gossip and hearsay. Uh, but if there is good evidence that, that wrongdoing has been done, then here is what must be done. Verse 20 says, and as for those who persist, speaking of pastors who persist in sin, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Man, I submit to you that Will McCraney had a duty before God to publicly expose Kevin Ezell so that cooperative program dollars wouldn't continue uh, to fall victim to waste and corruption and abuse. Uh, Kevin Ezell's misdeeds had to be exposed and brought to the light because otherwise missions would not be effectively done. And I believe that missions and the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the nations is more important than circling the wagon and protecting SBC elites. Absolutely. And, and so, uh, again... This, this falls into a pattern of lack of remorse, lack of repentance. Not one time is Kevin Ezell, just as we said uh, with Ed Litton earlier, not one time has Kevin Ezell repented. Not one time has he admitted wrongdoing. As a matter of fact, he continues to double down, even as the evidence is overwhelmingly against him. Uh, so it's very concerning that the leadership, as you said, I almost feel like we've reached a point where they feel like they're not beholden to the messengers at all. And, and, and this is my personal opinion. It's almost as if the messenger is just a nuisance to be worked around. So that brings us to the last issue of accountability that I wanted to talk about with you guys right now. Uh, there is an issue currently taking place within two of the largest churches within the Southern Baptist Convention. One is Saddleback Church, or Rick Warren's church, author of The Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure most of you know him. And the other is First Baptist Church of Orlando, uh, Florida. Right now, in Saddleback and First Baptist Orlando, they have taken the position to publicly ordain women as pastors and elders within their churches. Now, uh, First Baptist Church of Orlando has gone even further. They have now started publicly baptizing those who openly profess homosexuality. They have started allowing speakers who are pro-LGBTQ to take the pulpit and speak on, on their behalf. So, you have two of the largest churches within the convention uh, standing directly opposed to biblical authority. Uh, so the Credentials Committee was asked to take this up. For those of you who don't know, the Credentials Committee is who determines if a church has so broken the bylaws of the Southern Baptist Convention that they are to be disfellowshipped. Clear-cut cases, both churches unrepentant, neither church denying their actions, uh, Saddleback was brought up at the 2022 annual meetings in Anaheim. This is clear cut. There were unrepentant, still moving forward uh, with, with this course of action. Instead of, of standing firm, upholding scriptural authority, upholding even the Baptist faith and message, the bylaws of the Southern Baptist Convention, what the Southern Baptist Convention has decided to do was to put a committee together to study what the term pastor means in the Baptist faith and message in Scripture. Is the role of elder and pastor, as Paul says and teaches clearly, 
only for men based upon the order of creation. So again, remember, we say some of the worst damage done in the church isn't by people who just believe wrong and teach wrong. It's by leaders who are unwilling to stand firm on biblical authority. So guys, I'm going to open the floor up here for y'all. The question is, do we believe the Bible or do we not? You know, it's not when the Bible says something uh, that you uh, can affirm and remain popular with the culture. It's when the Bible says something that is unpopular. So I just want to remind you of what, again, Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man in the church. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, in the Greek text, he does not permit a woman to teach. This is the word in the Greek language, didasko. And it's used in the next few verses uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to speak of how a pastor must be able to teach. He must be able to didasko, uh, 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. The same thing that the pastor must be able to do, which, by the way, when you look at qualifications of pastors and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, the one difference between a pastor and a deacon is the pastor must be able to teach, able to didasco. That's the preaching ministry of the pastor. That's the same thing that Paul in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, just a few verses earlier, forbids any woman to do in the church. Clearly, Paul forbids a woman to preach in the local church. You either believe the Bible or you don't. And I don't want to hear any nonsense about, oh, well, there's more than one to one way to interpret this. No, there's not. You either believe the Bible or you don't. The Bible says that women are not to be pastors. Women are not supposed to preach in the local church. That may be unpopular, but I believe God knows better than we do. I don't think that we're wiser than God, and we're either going to come under the authority of the Bible, or we're going to throw off what the Bible says and do things our way, and we're going to allow Satan to deceive us with that original question he asked in the garden, hath God really said? Yes, he has. He's spoken clearly, and I am not ashamed of what God says in his word. Well, and again, I think this goes back to allowing culture's view of us to be preeminent over mm-hmm. God's view of us. And and so we allow them to wrestle the truth of Scripture away because we don't want to sound mean. So rather than being biblically honest and said we're created equal, we're equally loved before God, men and women, but we're both given specific roles based upon the order of creation, we capitulate and we we whitewash, we try to keep a foot in both camps. Yeah, I want to read a quote from A.W. Tozer. He puts it this way, speaking of the popular um, opinion. He says, one of the most incredible phenomena in the world today is the immense and universal popularity of Jesus Christ. Yet the teachings of Christ are wholly contrary to the beliefs of the modern world. The spiritual philosophy under, underlying the kingdom of God is radically opposed to that of civilized society. Absolutely. And, and, and listen, guys, we go back again to where we started. All of this comes back to the downgrade of Scripture. Either it's, it's totally authoritative it's all we have as far as the revelation of God and His commands for people, or it's not. And and I fear what's taking place in the Southern Baptist Convention is right now, they're trying to treat its authority like a buffet line. We'll take a little of this as long as the world is okay with it. We'll take a little of that as long as the culture and society uh, doesn't say otherwise. So uh, as we prepare to close this out, giving all of the things that we have talked about tonight, uh, me and, and Pastor Chad, uh, and Pastor Brian, we come back from the the leadership did the twelve messengers come back from the twenty twenty one annual meetings. Uh, we met as leadership. We felt that in good conscience we could not continue in fellowship with the Southern Baptist Convention. Understand, there's almost this misunderstanding of the biblical model of church taking place where local churches are giving the same covenantal loyalty to the SBC, a parachurch organization, as they do their local body, what they're called to. Mm. We believe biblically the, the, the Bible says the church starts and stops with the local body. 
Uh, We felt like that we could not continue in good conscience to shepherd the the flock that God has called us to at First Baptist Church of Opelousas and in good conscience tell them that we needed to stay affiliated in fellowship with the Southern Baptist Convention. So we had a meeting in October. It was a well-attended meeting. The leadership of the church laid out the very things that we have talked about tonight, and the vote was unanimous. And I want to say that again. Uh, Once our people, and and we have folks in this church who have been SBC, uh, as long as some of them have been alive, they've been affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. They were Southern Baptists before they were Christian. That's right. The the joke (laughs) is, I'm not Christian, I'm Southern Baptist. Yeah, so, but, but once the evidence was laid out before them, it was so overwhelming that the vote to withdraw from the Southern Baptist Convention was unanimous. And listen... Oh, go ahead, Chad. Yeah, I just think about Acts 20, where Paul admonished his people in tears. Uh, I, I feel the same way as a, you know, I grew up in a charismatic church, and the very first refuge I found was in a Southern Baptist church. And so I, I labeled myself a Southern Baptist, uh, almost proudly, not not in an unbiblical way, but just, yeah, I, I believe the doctrines. I was so thankful for a place of refuge. And so these these admonitions that we give are not without tears. We're not, we're not do this just flippantly. These, these are um, well thought out as you've made the arguments for uh, decisions as we've made. No, and, and, and I, I want to reiterate what Pastor Chad just said. We have many, many brothers. Uh, Pastor Brian's church is still in the Southern Baptist Convention. So we have many brothers still fighting the good fight in the Southern Baptist Convention. We felt like as a church, we had reached mm-hmm. a point where we just couldn't anymore. It doesn't mean we don't love our brethren That's who right. stand for biblical truth. We don't pray for them. Uh, before I close out, I do want to open the floor, though, Brian, any final thoughts Brothers, we just have to be faithful to the Word of God. And my goal at the end of my ministry, and this should be the goal of every Christian at the end of our lives, is to hear those words on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Jesus calls us to serve Him. We don't serve men. While the Southern Baptist Convention can be very useful Uh, in sending out missionaries and propagating the gospel and planting churches. And it has been used by God for many years to do that. If the Southern Baptist Convention continues on this path of corruption, then it will no longer be useful for that. And and I'm afraid that that the ship may have already sailed. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not for me to judge, but these are grievous problems. And we do not address this uh, to beat our chest We address this because we are concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are concerned about the authority of the Word of God to speak over our churches and over this convention of churches that we call the SBC. And if we will not come under the authority of Scripture and ultimately seek to serve Christ rather than denominational leaders Mm -hmm. or the organization— Um, then God will write Ichabod over the Southern Baptist Convention. We simply cannot go down that road. I love the Southern Baptist Convention, but I love Jesus Christ far more. And I am far more committed to Him than I am any convention of churches. And while I want the SBC to flourish, and I want it to do well, and I want it to get back to its historic and biblical roots— I will not go down with a sinking ship. We're either going to repent and straighten this thing out, or the Southern Baptist Convention is going to continue to lose the support of faithful churches and pastors. I pray that the Southern Baptist Convention is turned around, but if it does not, I will not forsake Christ for the sake of a denomination. Mm -hmm. I will not do it. Amen. Well said. Well, on behalf of Pastor Chad and our special guest, Pastor Brian Gunner of First Baptist Church of Livingston and Protect Life, this is Pastor Joel. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you again next week on From the Pastor's Heart. Thank you for listening to From the Pastor's Heart, a podcast from First Baptist Church of Opelousas. First Baptist Church of Opelousas is a biblically-driven, diverse, evangelistic family of believers seeking to glorify God by calling Acadiana to a saving faith and the hope found only in Jesus Christ. First Baptist Church of Opelousas. One faith, one hope, one family.